Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Hey, good afternoon, Jack Riccardi. Welcome to the Jack Riccardi Show on 550 and 1071 KTSA. So one of the one of the the you know rules of Fight Club uh, when it comes to the Biden administration is uh, know them by what they do on Fridays, right? Know them by their Friday actions. Whenever this whenever this clan has uh, bad news, bad statistics, a bitter pill to swallow, whenever they're trying to slide something on past you, it's always on a Friday. It's probably because they think. Uh, you know, us hicks are all, you know, three beers into the day and we're, you know, busy, uh, you know, cleaning our guns or something on Friday. But they, they always save it for Friday. So this is a doozy. Today is a doozy. Um, you know, the Republicans have been saying there should be a special counsel appointed to investigate Hunter Biden. No, 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 no. That investigation's already over. There was nothing to it. There's no, there's nothing to the connection between Hunter and Joe. The only connection is it's his son, and it, there's no evidence that Joe knew was involved, benefited. Heck, you, you Republicans, uh, you investigated it under Bill Barr. You didn't find anything, which isn't true. But so they've been stonewalling on a special counsel, and then all of a sudden today, Friday. Don't sleep on him on Friday. We're going to appoint a special counsel. And the special counsel is the guy who is investigating it now. Usually, special counsel means we're going outside the administration. We're going to somebody that is seen as a, you know, fresh start, clean sheet of paper, sweep the, you know, we're going to start over again, back to square one. To believe that that's what David Weiss, the United States Attorney for Delaware, is going to do, you'd have to believe that David Weiss is going to fire or replace all the people he's had working on the Hunter Biden uh, case and and um, crimes, and that David Weiss himself is going to have to have like some kind of amnesia about the plea deal that he crafted and presented in court and got embarrassed and humiliated by the judge on. In other words... Literally, to to say our special counsel choice is this guy is a giant middle finger to the Republicans. A friend of mine, who is a Democrat, by the way, put this very well. He said, this is like when the mob uh, kind of, you know, mocks or ridicules, uh, you know, Elliot Ness. You know, this, this is like where they say, you'll never get us. Uh, we own you. We've got you. That's what this is. The, these people really are. The Bidens really are a crime family. Uh, the swag here is incredible. So, it, and and you know, I want to I want to get your reaction to this. Um, the, I, I'm sure there are people who thought, oh, this is this is good. This is a step forward. Finally, we'll get a legitimate investigation. Same guy. Same guy. Now, somebody pointed out, and I hadn't thought of this, and, and I wish I had, somebody thought, uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter what might be a really good little uh, gimmick here. Because in the past, when a special counsel is appointed, uh, think of like uh, 
Well, John Durham, uh, this was true of him, and uh, some of the others in the past. It it sort of freezes Congress in place. If Congress is holding hearings, if Congress is subpoenaing uh, people to talk, um, it freezes Congress in place because now you have to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't want to impede or step on the special counsel investigation. This should be now the principal investigation, and you guys need to stand down. Like, don't subpoena Hunter Biden, because this guy's doing what you guys said should be done. So it's a neat trick. The Republicans are all over Fox raging about it, raging about it. Um, That's fine. They can do that today. I want to see what they come up with on Monday. Because as we talked about yesterday, we're all getting a little sick and tired. We've all... We've all seen the act. We've all seen the routine where they perform outrage on Fox and then do nothing, right? Like that. Like all we have to do is show the the people that we're mad, and we've done our job. Uh, but this is this is quite a shot across the bow from the Bidens. They really are. They're a crime family. They're like they're like the worst, uh, you know, B grade made for TV movie uh, criminal enterprise. It's it's not even debatable. Uh, it's a joke. Uh, Merrick Garland is laughing at them. Okay, we'll call. You want a special counsel? We'll call the guy we already have, our guy, our dude. We'll call him a special counsel. So, 210-599-5555. You know, I, they used to say that Barack Obama was the best gun salesman that the uh, firearms industry ever had, ever saw. He should get the Lifetime Achievement Award because he was so, um, his his um, every pronouncement led to people just buying him up. And I think maybe uh, the Biden administration is that way when it comes to conspiracy theories. They are a conspiracy theory generator. It just... And you can say, well, it's not them, it's you. But, I mean, even if you are temperamentally of the of the type that doesn't think that way, and I'm sure you, many, many people in their whole lives never bought into a conspiracy theory, never watched some late-night, you know, uh, documentary, listened to one of these crazy overnight radio shows, listened to one of these crazy afternoon radio shows, whatever. But, um... It is harder and harder not to see a hidden hand, a coordination, uh, and a kind of, um, you know, they're playing chess and the Republicans are playing checkers. Now, there was a story um, yesterday that the January 6th committee, that was the committee before the midterms when the Democrats had the House and they were holding uh, hearings. It's now called the House Oversight Committee and it's controlled by the Republicans. But when they had it, and it was the J6 committee, and they were having primetime televised uh, hearings that were produced by a by a, basically a television producer, um, they collected documents and videotapes and depositions. This went on for a couple of years. And, um, you know, it was kind of a kangaroo court. But... Fox had a story yesterday about how typically when there is a uh, transition to the other party 
and the other party takes control of, takes chairmanship of the committees, you hand over the files, everything gets handed over, because it's not, it's not the property of Democrats or Republicans, it's the work product of the committee. Well, when the Republicans took over the J6 documents, it was all unorganized and messed up and jumbled. And then when they started looking at it, more than half of it was missing. And the law is clear that you have to preserve records. Uh, you, you were obtaining things. Uh, you were having people testify under oath. You were reading things into the record. Um, you have to preserve that. Um, there are people who will need that stuff in their, let's say, their defense in their January 6th trial if they go to court, if they were accused of going into the Capitol. Uh, so it's obstruction of justice. It's it's totally not in keeping with the way the House operates. Again, we've had many flip-flops from one party to the other in, in elections over the years. This is not an issue. But they they when they disbanded their committee, they basically... Uh, took a dump on the files and removed a lot of things and said, here you go, Here's you know, make of it what you can. Um, and so they're, they're being called out uh, for, for doing that. Now, one of the reasons I think that's interesting, and this is why I brought up conspiracy theory, because remember we told you that right before Tucker Carlson was fired by Fox News Channel, he had interviewed and had in the can already taped an interview with the then Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sund. He was the police chief of the U.S. Capitol Police on January 6, 2021. He's not anymore. And he's written a book about his experiences that day and what he believes is the untold story of, of what went on behind the scenes. And Tucker Carlson was all set to air that interview and then got fired. And Fox kept the interview because, again, when you... Like if KTSA fires me today, all the stuff I've done is theirs. They probably won't ever put it on the air, but they can they can hang on to it. That's standard in, in all broadcast uh, contracts. Okay, so now Tucker's doing his Twitter thing, and he's got his own, he, you know, he's his own boss. He wants this story told, so he re-interviews Stephen Sund. And if anything, now both, Carlson and Sund are more, you know, kind of motivated to get this story out there because there's been such an effort to make sure you did not hear this. Let me play a couple of um, examples of this uh, conversation. So uh, you can find it. It's it's one of the most, I think it's the most recent Tucker episode, and uh, you can find it all over the place. And it's not very long. It's about an hour if you want to listen to the whole thing. Um, one of the things that Chief former chief Sund tells him is that there was intel about what might happen on January 6th that he never got. And, and I don't want to belabor it, but basically he says it was routine when there were events in Washington that might draw protesters. Think of like, you know, a BLM event or um, a WTO event or um, March for Life or Million Women March or any of these things. Uh, it was very typical to have these coordinated meetings and memos between the Capitol Police, the um, D.C. Police, maybe the FBI, maybe other 
law enforcement, federal law enforcement, the military, the National Guard, et cetera, the mayor of Washington, D.C. He says, I never got the intel that they had about what they thought might happen January 6th. Cut number five. Think about this, the military, the United States military. Um, and this gets really convoluted once you get into the, the response on January 6th and how I was delayed getting resources. You have the United States military, um, Secretary of Defense, or Acting Secretary of Defense Miller, and Acting and uh, General uh, Milley had both discussed locking down the city of Washington, D.C., because they were so worried about violence at the Capitol on January 6th. On Sunday and Monday, they had been discussing locking down the city, um, revoking permits on Capitol Hill because of the concern for violence. You know who issues the permits on Capitol Hills for demonstrations? I do. You know who wasn't told? Me. Instead, on January 4th, what does Miller do? He puts out a memo restricting the National Guard from carrying the various weapons, any weapons, any civil disobedience equipment that would be utilized for the very um, um, demonstrations or violence that he sees coming. It just doesn't make any sense. Wait, wait. So the military says we're so concerned about potential imminent violence that we are considering shutting down the city. But at the very same time, they decide that the National Guard can't. Uh, adopt an aggressive posture. Right, to protect right. The city. They're deploying because they're going to be deploying National Guard to assist Washington D.C. with crowd control at metros and some of the traffic um, control areas. But they put this out on January fourth, specific to January fifth and sixth. And this direction affected the National Guard in Virginia and Maryland. When I was calling, begging for assistance on January sixth, they they weren't allowed to respond at first. Look at um, uh, uh, Governor Hogan. He did a press conference saying he was begging to respond, and he was not being denied by the Pentagon, all because of the memo. Mm. Um, and so I, I've resisted this for a long time because although I don't believe that Donald Trump told people to go to the Capitol and tear it down or attack it, um, I, I do believe that a lot of his supporters had the wrong idea about what they could achieve if they went to the Capitol. And part of that is him and part of that is just bad civics. And uh, part of that is the Republican Party has done a terrible job of of fighting the fight where the fight needs to be fought, which is in the state capitals. But anyway, um, I, I've resisted for a long time the idea because it's such a, uh, an, an immense thing to consider. But it, I, I, can't, I can't any longer get around this. Somebody wanted bad stuff to go down on January 6th so that they would be able to smear and basically uh, delegitimize you if you support Donald Trump and Trump himself. This was, this was absolutely, it, whether, they, whether they created the insurrection or just knew it was coming, to let that happen so that you have a club to hit him with and then going around all piously about this was the greatest threat to democracy and it was a dark day and I almost died and you know, see, I almost died. They let this happen, and they kept Stephen Sund, who seems like an ardent, sincere, professional law enforcement guy who had one job and is pissed that he couldn't do it. They kept him out of what they were doing and from knowing that this was coming. We'll play more of this uh, interview, but I want to get your reaction to it. And uh, we're going to talk about the special counsel thing. That's our question on the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. There's a lot we got to talk about. We're going to get to it. We've got the dish coming up after six. Busy day. You've been waiting. Monday, 
got through a Tuesday, he got through Wednesday, he started to smell it Thursday, you were right on top of it, and now it's here, it's Friday, it's time to rock and roll, break out the speakers, blow your cars and get up, get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday, whoa, Have you noticed the weather people on television keep saying that we're going to have a, we might have, there's a slight chance, there's a very slight chance, and it's always on the farthest um, edge of whatever their forecast is. Like if it's a seven-day forecast, maybe in the seventh day it might rain, or if it's a ten-day forecast, there might be a little bit of relief, a degree or two um, after these next ten days. They have no idea. <laughs> they really have no idea. Um, so, yeah, I, I predict by Thanksgiving uh, we will get under 100. Uh, Jack Riccardi for Friday on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jump in here, 210-599-5555. What do you think of this guy, uh, Stephen Sund? We're going to play a little more of his interview with Tucker Carlson. Tucker on Twitter is the interview. Um, he seems like uh, a guy that wants to tell his story. The, the word that, that comes to mind for me is he seems very um, sincere. Now, he could be full of it he could be crazy i guess there's people that are sincere and they're sincerely nuts uh, but he, he comes across as credible he, he he comes across as a guy that takes it personally that this crap went down at the capitol because his job is to protect that place and we always we always think about this in terms of red versus blue but but somewhere in the middle there were people that were scared for their lives uh didn't um you know, t- take pride in protecting that building, no matter who the politicians are. And um, I think something really dastardly was done here. I think we put Americans, this is not even the botched withdrawal of Afghanistan, but it's it's similar to it in the sense that we we put Americans in the middle of a political stunt. And the, the Americans I'm speaking about are the, the Capitol Police. This guy's their chief. He, again, seems very irate uh, about what happened. What do you think of that? How, how does he strike you? Just as you're hearing him. 210-599-5555. Um, and then we're talking about the Hunter thing. I mean, this, this, is, this is taunting. You know, this is, you are never going to get us. We are totally getting away with this. You want a special counsel? Here's your special counsel, you know. Uh, now, in the interview with Tucker Carlson and uh, Steve Sund, he says that um, as the insurrection was going on and the crowd is coming into the Capitol, he is trying to get National Guard. Now, remember, he told you in the last clip, the National Guard was told not to have weapons, not to be armed. So now he's trying to get the but he doesn't know that at the time he's making this request. He's trying to get the National Guard. He's he's trying to go up through the chain of command, and um, somebody tells him it would be bad optics if the National Guard has to go to the Capitol. It would look bad. Cut number six. Listen to this. I get on the call. Mayor Bowser's on the call. And, uh, Chief Conti's on the call, um, and I said well, I need the National Guard immediately. This is an urgent, urgent situation. I still remember saying urgent twice. This is urgent, urgent. They gotta be looking at the same TVs I'm looking at. Um, I need the National Guard immediately. 
You know what his response is? Don't like the optics of the National Guard on Capitol Hill. He goes, I would rather have your officers in the fight and we can backfill your officers somewhere else. I said, I don't have that option. All my officers are in the fight. He goes, I'm telling you, I don't like the option of the National Guard. You know, I don't like the optics of the National Guard on the Hill. I said, sir, we're having our asses handed to us. This is life or death. I need assistance immediately. And I still remember, he said, you know, um, my recommendation is not to support the request. And I still remember Robert Conti going, whoa, whoa, hold on. You're denying the chief of the Capitol Police? And... Um, he comes back and says, not that we're denying them. I just don't like the optics of the National Guard on Capitol Hill. And he goes, I'd rather, and he goes back to that again, I'd rather backfill your people. I said, sir, I don't have that option. This sounds like a setup to me. I'm sorry, it does. It gets better. Yeah. Um, Conti is the chief of the uh, Metro Police, so he's on the call. Um, it could be a setup because Sund is out, the sergeant-at-arms of the House and Senate are both out, um, we now know that uh, they're essentially blaming lack of preparedness and, um, you know, this is why we need to have fencing up. But, in fact, th- they were prepared. They were prepared to let it happen. They knew it was coming. That's really interesting, isn't it? That, that, that puts an entirely different spin. On any, on any breaking news event, you're supposed to assume that it's a surprise to the people involved, just like it is to you. This doesn't seem to have been a surprise. It does seem like a setup. It does seem like they knew they'd they'd have a few, uh, you know, sacrificial lambs, and they did. And this guy's one of them. So take that for what it's worth. And then he says he found out what they were doing with the National Guard that day when they weren't sending it to him until way too late. Cut number seven. Listen to this. And I said, we have shots fired. I still remember yelling over the phone. We have shots fired on the USAI Capitol. Is that urgent enough for you now? Hang up the phone because now I've got to start making my notifications. I've got to call the uh, Sergeant Arms saying, hey, we got what looks like maybe a confirmed shooting. Do you know when the National Guard finally arrived? 6 p.m. 6 p.m. they're sworn in on post. Do you know those National Guard, the 150 to 180 that are within eyesight of the Capitol? You know what they do with them? They put them in vehicles, drive them around the Capitol, back to the D.C. Armory. You know where the D.C. Armory is. It's far away, yeah. Washington, uh, yes. White House is on one side, United States Capitol, D.C. Armory, almost equidistant on the other RFK side. Stadium. Yeah, yeah, by RFK Stadium. They drive them back then, and they send me in the evening trips. Not real. Can you freaking believe it? No, that's real. That's real. And you know what else they do? While I'm begging for assistance, the Pentagon sending resources to generals' houses to protect their homes, but not me. So you begin to think... It seems a little conspiratorial. I can see where somebody, I'm not a consp- you know, conspiracy theorist, but I can see where people begin to go down that rabbit hole. Really why, would, uh, why would the so-called insurrectionists be a threat to the generals? That, that doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. I mean, if that's right, that's, that is so convoluted. Um, so either this guy is a, is, a, is a madman, and he's just fabricating all this, or... Uh, you, you now, you, if, if you believe him, and I do at this point in the absence of anything else, I believe him, uh, you have to know that they wanted this to happen. They had a pretty good idea it was going to happen. They let it happen so they could run around talking about it ever since. 210-599-5555. And what does this have to do with the appointment of a Hunter Biden special counsel? Well, because, again, everything is 
after the fact, horses left the barn. Um, all of this is just manipulating and managing perception of what's going on. Like, there's no real investigation of Hunter Biden. There's no real, uh, there's no real, oh, we were caught off guard. We had no idea Trump would say those things. These people would show up and look how they behave. We weren't ready. We didn't think our fellow Americans would do this. Yeah, they, they did. And that's before you even get to the other, the whole Ray Epps thing where they put up to doing it. I'm not even going there yet. I'm just talking about they knew and they didn't tell the guy that could have protected the building that it was going to happen. That changes the whole, you know, the way this whole thing lands. Right now in our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, St. Mary's University School of Law professor Bill Pyatt uh, joins the show, uh, the, uh, show. Professor, good afternoon to you. Hi, Jack. Thank you for having me on. Um, a lot of stuff to get to here. Uh, what is your first reaction to Merrick Garland redesignating the United States Attorney, David Weiss, as the special counsel? I don't really understand it. Um, I always try to tell my students to have faith in the legal system, but the move today looks clumsy at best or deeply cynical or maybe a little bit of both. Um, the reason that you have a special prosecutor would be to give someone the power to conduct an investigation free from interference with the Justice Department, theoretically. It would be a year-to-year appointment. But you don't need a special prosecutor to investigate the conduct of a relative of a president. It looks like the only reason Weiss was given this title is to try to satisfy some political concerns that people had raised to try to get a special counsel, and yet there's no independence here. This is the same man, David Weiss, mm-hmm. who let the uh, statute of limitations run on the more serious tax charges, uh, as you noted, had agreed to a sweetheart deal that the judge wouldn't accept. I mean, there's no indication that he's going to do anything different. He has a different title. He may use that title now to avoid responding to the congressional inquiries about what's been going on. Uh so I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. I, if, if there is a positive potential outcome, it's that there at least is some awareness now that there is enough going on that it can't just be left to one attorney, the prosecutor, in this case David Wise, acting as a federal prosecutor without any oversight, mm. without any other input to it. So maybe, maybe just maybe. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's still the U.S. attorney for Delaware. Uh, are we supposed to believe that he's going to get a whole new staff? Are we supposed to believe that he's going to wipe his own memory clean and, and forget everything he's done and start with a, cl- a clean sheet of paper? It's just, it, it, it sounds almost like you kind of put your finger on it. it. It sounds almost like the real deal here is that if Congress were to subpoena Hunter Biden or, or other witnesses, that this would give the, the Department of Justice a chance to go, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, you got to stand down as has been the case in the past, because a special counsel investigation has to proceed un, you know, molested by your hearings. So is it an attempt to freeze them in place? I think it could be. And the other thing that I'm concerned about is additional statute of limitations running. Like even on the sweetheart deal on those two misdemeanor charges, unless the special counsel goes and indicts that case, right now all it is is the discussions and the potential charges and the statute continues to run. The statute of limitations means after a certain point, you can never bring those charges again, period. 
if you indict somebody, the statute is told, it's stopped while the um, criminal proceeding takes place. So here's what, one thing we can look at. Let's look and see in the next couple of weeks if Wise moves to indict Hunter on any of those tax charges that were the subject of the sweetheart deal or anything else. Other than that, like I said, it's, it's clumsy or it's cynical or it's both. And I don't really understand why you would name the same ineffective prosecutor mm-hmm. to continue on. There's no, there's no even appearance of independence at this point. It's not going to satisfy yeah. critics. Just a technicality, I guess. You asked for one, here he is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll call him whatever you want us to call him. Um, I did not completely understand what uh, we got from the judge, uh, I guess, was it this morning or last night, about whether or not Trump could talk about uh, the case against him. Can you kind of break that down for us in layman's terms? Is, uh, the, the judge basically said he, he has, a, of course he has First Amendment rights, uh, but I don't care if he's running for president, there's some stuff in this case he cannot talk about. She said that, and then, however, she said he, he's free to express himself, but not on matters that are deeply sensitive, which raises all, and and the, I think it's cynical to suggest that, well, he's president, or he was running, he's running for president, so therefore there are, are, there's nothing unique about his situation. Well, it's absolutely unique. The material that's been leaked, the witnesses that have come forward, what if some of those witnesses are his political opponents? And I'm not siding with or against former President Trump. But if someone comes forward and makes an accusation against him in a debate or even not in a debate, is he going to be in trouble if he tries to respond by saying, well, look, read the indictment. It doesn't contain anything to that effect, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can – I think it's I think it's cynical to say he is going to be treated like everybody else when it's obvious he's not being treated like everybody else. There, There is no practical reason why the indictments couldn't have come years ago. There's no practical reason why any trial proceedings couldn't wait till after the election. So I think – I, I can't completely explain something that I think is going to be the subject of litigation between now and the presidential election and even after that. The other thing I, I was sort of puzzled about, I'm sorry, I'm kind of scattered all over the place here, but you're so good to, to work with us on this. Um, there was a story a day or two ago that said uh, the Jack Smith, the Trump special counsel, yes. uh, sought and obtained a search warrant for Trump's Twitter. And um, there was speculation at the time about what that even meant. Did that mean tweets? Did that mean things he might have composed on Twitter but didn't post? Um, how, does this, how does this work? I mean, and what, would be the, what, what could possibly be the, the purpose for uh, a subpoena of, uh, or, or breaking into, I guess, his Twitter accounts? Try to see prob- or possibly if there were any uh, private communications or, you know, not that he was blasting to the whole world, but uh, communications mm-hmm. that he was using that account for. Um, as I understand it, he, Trump was not even given notice that that order had mm-hmm. been signed. Uh, so it was obvious that they were hoping to catch him doing something after the judge entered the order. It's almost like getting a wiretap on a phone. It's like mm-hmm. trying to see if there is any criminality after you get the order entered uh, but would they, they apparently they they applied for it in january uh is what i heard would that mean they 
can look at everything since January or everything, everything? I think it means everything, everything. Unless there's some limitation in the judge's order, I think it means everything. Mm. It It's... Uh, it's really interesting. You know, Trump likes to say, uh, this is not about me. They're coming for you. I'm just in the way. Uh, it, it is interesting to see stuff like this and to realize they must think they can do this with anybody if they think they can do it with him. I think that maybe because they view him as such a threat that that is why the uh, intensity is at play that might not be involved if it was a lesser political figure but i don't know i just think it's harder and harder to think that all of the criminal proceedings and the indictments are just accidental occurring at random it's harder to think that there that there isn't a a plan an effort and and a game plan to bring the indictments one after the other try to tie former president trump up and again i'm not saying whether i favor or disfavor him politically i'm just saying it looks like he is being treated because he's a political figure He's not being treated like everybody else. And to suggest that just because he's a presidential candidate doesn't mean he gets special treatment. He is getting special treatment. He's getting special bad treatment as a result of all of this. I, I would, yeah, I would say um, if you were trying to make people cynical, if you were trying to uh, generate more conspiracy theorists, you, you would do everything that they're doing right now. I would say so. And that's why it's harder and harder for me to try to convince students to just let the system play out. I still have faith in the system. I still know that things don't always resolve themselves immediately, but over the course of time, the system has worked so far, and I'm hopeful it will continue to work. Yeah, we'll leave it there for now. Professor Bill Pyatt, St. Mary's University School of Law. Professor, thank you. Appreciate the time today. Thank you, Jack. We tore ourselves apart over ivermectin during the covidiot phase of our lives oh my god we had so many so many people so upset and purple in the face and veins popping out in their neck and ivermectin is horse paste and i never full disclosure i never i never took it i had covid i didn't take it i didn't i didn't even think of it no one mentioned it to me. I just, I'd heard about it. I know there were people that swore by it, and you were the worst person in the world if you brought it up. You could even, you could even potentially be deplatformed or banned uh, or warned on social media. This week, the FDA dropped a bombshell saying that doctors can prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID. They're defending their repeated warnings, threats to people to not take ivermectin for COVID. I mean, they came out and said it wasn't a, it wasn't like we, we, we're not sure or we recommend. They told you don't do it. You better not do it. I I, I think of all the times we had Dr. McCary on and we talked about this. Anyway, um, three doctors came forward, said the FDA gave them trouble, made trouble for them with their practice of medicine. And um, the FDA is saying, they're they're basically gaslighting. They're saying we we don't have any problem with uh, doctors prescribing 
ivermectin for symptoms of COVID. On August 21st of 2021, the FDA's Twitter account tweeted, You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. Elsewhere and at other times, they warned. Ivermectin, quote, is not authorized or approved to treat COVID-19. On an FAQ page, should I take ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19? Answer, no. They're saying now is, we heard that some people got sick. We were worried. And uh, out of a, an abundance of caution, we, uh, we said these things. We don't actually purport to require anyone to do anything or to prohibit anyone from doing anything. How is stop it not a command when it comes from a government agency? How is that not a, a, a declarative uh, statement? These people don't live in our world. They don't, they, 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 we're not speaking the same language. We don't speak government English, I guess, because it was clear you were a lunatic. You were a, uh, you know, some sort of snake oil salesman. Uh, you wanted to get people killed. You were undermining science. You weren't a believer in science. And these doctors who came forward, uh, they're, they're physicians. And they said, well, you know, we're just physicians. We just treat people. We, we, we try to take care of our patients. That's all. We weren't on an agenda. We weren't on a mission. We're not activists. Um, we lost our jobs. Because we prescribed ivermectin. I, again, I have no, I, I'm not for it or against it. I don't have an interest in it. I'm not selling it. I don't have any at my house. You can, you can check. I'm just saying, this is the kind of um, rank hypocrisy and hubris and pomposity that we got during COVID that was never called forward and reckoned with. Ordinarily, when people are this wrong, they have to come clean. They have to admit it. They have to face how wrong they were. You, you, you know, you collaborated with the Nazis while they occupied your country. We're going to call you out on that. We're not doing any of that here. And that's going to lead to more of the same, whether it's with a virus or with something else. Uh, people that got away with never being called to reckon will try this again. Probably you're trying it now. On that happy note, I will tell you, um, I love doing the show, and I, I, uh, I'm not saying this is a complaint, but maybe the, the one drawback to doing a live show every day is funneling down all the things I want to talk about and that I, I want to tell you about to the things that we have time for. So when people say to me, sometimes when I meet people and they ask me what I do, and uh, how, do you, where, how do you find something to talk about every day? I laugh because it's just the opposite. I've got so much that the trick is is what will. It's like going to a all you can eat buffet. I mean, you can only fit so much on the plate, and we've got the three hours. You know, I, at times I've had four hours, at times I've had five hours, at times I've had two hours. It's never enough. So anyway, I always look at this like. You know, I got to talk fast. We got to move fast. We go from topic to topic very quickly. I know that sometimes people will call in and they're like two topics behind because we're just trying to get a lot of stuff uh, in. And I have a lot of stuff we're going to get to uh, this hour. And, and so 
I don't know how other people do their shows, but I would not have had time. I would not have had any time to have this discussion that apparently they had this morning on Where in Rima. And I only know about this. I didn't hear it, but people told me about it. And somebody sent me th that they got into this thing on Where in Rima where they were talking about me. Now, you've never heard me talk uh, on this show as a topic about them. I'll just refer to them, but... They got into this topic. They were talking about tattoos, which naturally would lead to talking about me, right? So this is what it sounded like uh, this morning on Where in Rhyme here on KTSA. What did you say about Ricardi? He doesn't have a Ricardi then, and he's probably, I mean, you'll see, I've heard him talk several uh, several times. Yeah. And I go, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm being different by not getting a tattoo. Well, see, that's probably, <laughs> that's, that's what, what I need to do. I need yeah. to stay the way I Jack, am. You know he don't have tattoos. Huh? I, it wouldn't be right for Jack to have a tattoo. Uh -huh. No. It just wouldn't not be right, the professor. Well, you know what? Maybe he does, and he's just snowing. Well, I was going to say, you'd never see it, because he's always fully suited. You, know, and, and, you know what they could tattoo on him? Those elbow patches that professors <laughs> have on their jackets. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some corduroy lines. There you go. Maybe he's got, like, Ricardi's books. On no, he's got, if he does have one, it's so arcane and literate that no, yeah. none of us would be able to... It's like in Sanskrit. None of us would be able to figure out what the hell it is. It's some secret. Secret code using using he's the Dewey decimal system or something. Yeah, he's like got that. a Melville quote somewhere <laughs> on his body. Yeah. He probably does. <laughs> what was the whale book? Moby Dick. <laughs> Moby Dick. Yeah. He's got the whole Moby Dick all the way well, down. His, I'm just saying, back it's of be, his leg. D.H. You know, <laughs> Lawrence. You know, he's got something like that on his body somewhere. <laughs> to have or have not. Death of a salesman printed on his back. <laughs> Because you know that's what he really is all yeah, about, yeah. death of a salesman. Right. Now we want everybody to email Jack and find out where his tattoos are. Oh, my God. That's a great that's, idea. No, is it Jack not. at KTSA? Uh -huh. Jack no, at KTSA. Stop. Where's your tattoo, Jack? Jack uh, at KTSA.com. Uh, there we go. Okay. And that was Elaine's idea, by the way. I want out of this It's the whole see Jack's tats movement. <laughs> Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was your idea. Okay. Um, I, I, got no, I got no emails. Not a single email. Nobody emailed me. Um, I have no tattoos, um, and I don't have any books tattooed on me. And yeah, I write a blog about books, but it's not tattooed on me. <laughs> they they need some material. They need some topics because I don't know. I I I feel like I am not able to get to everything that's going on. And boy, if they've got time for me, I don't know. Um, and and I don't even it, it some people wrote to me uh a while back and said, "You know, uh do you guys all like each other?" And we do. We do. We all like each other. So it's not that. I just it feels weird to be like a topic on their show. Like they're just sh with the times we're living in, it doesn't seem like there'd be time for that. But okay. But I'll save you the email. I don't have any tattoos. Um I don't know how I could prove that other than going on their show and taking everything off, which I don't know, maybe they would like, but I'm not going to do that. So, Here's the question I do have, though, and I thought, I thought this was, uh, somebody actually brought this up, and I thought this was interesting. We're uh, proposing to send $24 billion to Ukraine. Um, what are we proposing to send to Maui? The White House is requesting another $24 billion for Ukraine. We have sent something over a hundred billion in arms and aid to Ukraine. 
not even getting into the question of whether uh, you support supporting Ukraine or not. I'm not even asking you that. Um, but I look at these pictures of Hawaii, and I, I, I listen to these stories, and there's some incredible stories of people jumping into the ocean to save their lives, and some of them drowned. There's incredible stories of uh, power uh, workers, linemen, really risking their lives to try to uh, save lives and clear paths for emergency vehicles. Uh, the casualty count is, I think, in the 50s or 60s now, and there's going to be more. Um, and I know that there will be FEMA, and I know that there will be fundraisers, and maybe you know rock stars will do you know charity concerts. But but it, it is it is increasingly clear that it is easier for our government to send money to send resources to feel for people outside this country than it is for them to feel for people inside this country. Whether it's the people in Ohio where the train went off the track, whether it's entire regions of our country that have been ravaged in terms of jobs, whether it's uh, failing schools, whether it's crime-riddled cities like we talked about yesterday, now this disaster in Hawaii, and of course the irony, Hawaii is always that place you want to go to. It's everybody's dream vacation and honeymoon destination, and it's on the bucket list and all that. I've never been to Hawaii, by the way, but I, I hear wonderful things about it. Um, and now that this incredible devastation, um, it's just, for the first time in my life, it seems to me like the politicians find it easier to appropriate and and send money out of the country than to spend it on people here. And I'm not saying you can't walk and chew gum at the same time, and I'm not saying you don't do foreign aid, I'm not saying you don't... I'm, but but d- does it strike you that we're, we're not very high on their list? The other thing about Hawaii, and I'll just bring this up, pray for these people, pray for the, the community, pray for the victims, pray for the people they're looking for, Somewhere in this story, I feel like there is going to be a climate change angle. And I hope I'm wrong about this, and I debated whether or not to say it, and I'm going to say it. Have you noticed how many times recently so-called wildfires were set? And have you noticed that in some of those cases, if they find the culprit, it's a so-called climate activist. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that everyone who's a climate activist is also an arsonist. I'm not doing guilt by association. But have you noticed that they've actually caught people in Europe, in this country, in, in the fires in Canada? They have caught people who lit the fire and were trying to create sympathy for or greater coverage of the, you know, climate change leading to disasters. If we don't hurry up, the planet is on fire. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's not the case. But it would not surprise me if this fire was set and if they, through forensics, find out who did it. Sadly, it would not surprise me if that was a person who was trying to make a point about the climate. Because we're not just 
this isn't just something people talk about on talk shows and cable and in symposiums. There are now people so crazy that I think they would stop at nothing to force you, to force me, to subject ourselves or submit to some sort of climate emergency governance. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in the form of an emergency. There's going to be a national emergency, a climate emergency. You know, we, we, we're already seeing it at the local level, at the state level. Um, it, it, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not saying it, it has to be true. But honestly, would you not be surprised if that if this story goes in that direction? Would that really... Would that really surprise you? It just wouldn't for me anymore. Apparently, somebody got to Joe Biden. And there's a lot of speculation about who it might have been. And told him, you've got to stop saying that your son died in combat. I mean, Joe Biden has told a lot of falsehoods over his long political career. And one of the interesting things about Biden compared to other people I've covered is that Long after everybody knows uh, a particular scenario is not true, he just continues to tell it. It's like the, it's like back when we had cassette tapes. The, the tape just gets like stuck in the player. You know, <laughs> I don't want to listen to this album again, but I I can't get it out, so I got to play it again. So he keeps telling the stories. You know, the the Amtrak story and the Uncle Frank Purple Heart story and the the you know Corn Pop and um and, and when it comes to Bo Biden who tragically passed away from cancer in, I think, 2015. Every time he meets Gold Star parents, every time he meets a wounded veteran, or just any time it tangentially comes up, like when he was uh, visiting the the, uh, wounded from the Kabul airport bombing, he starts telling the families, "Uh, uh, yeah, we know how you feel. We brought our son home from Iraq in a flag-draped coffin. And um, this was uh, Cheryl Rex, who's one of the Gold Star moms, who met him under these circumstances, telling her story before Congress. Cut number three. When Joe Biden, our elected president, entered the room, when he approached me, his words to me were, my, w- my wife, Jill, and I know how you feel. We lost our son as well and brought him home in a flag-draped coffin. My heart started beating faster, and I started shaking knowing that their son died from cancer and they were able to be by his side. Also wondering how someone could honestly... Sorry. Be so heartless to say he knew how I felt a little over 24 hours and learning of my son's death. After this encounter, I have never had any personal correspondence, nor has my son been honored or his name spoken by this commander in chief or his administration. Okay. And her son's name was Lance Corporal Dylan Marola. So somebody got to him and said, you've got to change the way you tell the Bo Biden story. And so he's trying out a new version of it. Um, and uh, I guess this is how it sounds now when he tells it. Cut number two. This is not about my son, but just an example how close it was. My son, Bo, was one of those parishes. He went with the fittest guy in his unit and came home, and 
and he came home but died of glioblastoma. Yeah, it's like he's, it's like it's hard to tell it without the old version. I would never pretend to know what it's like to lose a child at any age, and I'm not here to say that you should sound a certain way or it should it should come out a certain way, but you you hear him struggling to tell the true version, but never struggling to tell the version that everyone knew was not true. And I don't I don't mean like they staged it or it was a cover-up there's never been anyone with any impartiality who thought that his son who by the way seems like he was a good guy nothing like his brother um there's, there's just no indication no one believed anything other than than what happened we remember it happening joe biden was vice president at the time it was in the news uh, President Obama spoke movingly about it at the time, that they were grieving this loss. It's weird, right? It's one thing to tell stories of your past, like you didn't know me when I was a kid, but guess what happened to me? I can do that, and if I can pull that off, you don't know, right? You've only got me to go on. So it's one thing, I'm not saying it's right, but it's one thing to tell a story for which you are the only possible confirmation of the story. I could tell you I met Michael Jackson when I was a kid or something. You, there'd, be no, there'd be no way to know. But, but here's something that played out that everybody knows. You were a famous, prominent person. It was in the news. And now that you're trying to tell it correctly, it sounds like you're unfamiliar with it. And so I leave it up to you. I mean, you know how I feel. I think a lot of what people ascribe to his being 80 or having dementia, I really think when when Joe Biden struggles more than anything, it's because on a lot of issues he is presenting a viewpoint or a set of talking points that are not his. That there, Somebody else is running this entire administration. They are scripting him, and he is not well-versed with the script. And when you're not well-versed with the script at any age, you will be hesitant, you will need prompting, you will lose your place. There is an unfamiliarity with a lot of what he's saying. Yes, the other stuff is probably true as well, but uh, it is just weird to me, and I, I don't know any other word for it. If you can't be... And this... I mean, again, I, I, my, my daughter is my whole world. I mean, if anything ever happened to her, my world is over. My world is over. So I don't understand inauthenticity. I don't understand manipulating it for effect. I don't understand thinking people won't know that you're doing that because they all do. We all do. I don't understand trying to sell it to military families that really have sustained a loss. Like, I would be... I would be so careful and have been so careful with people that have lost a son in combat because there is nothing I can say that is worthy of, of what they've given up, given this country. So, you know, maybe we'll never understand it. Hopefully we won't have to understand it past January of 2025. I was talking to somebody about uh, stuff Biden says and how crazy it is and we were kind of kicking around the whole, is it, you know, my theory is that a lot of what's put in front of him 
or given him to announce and 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 take ownership of is really not his. You know, you you look at all the ways they move him around and they uh the Easter bunnies waving him away from the crowd and you know, the people are always grabbing him and taking him away from reporters and he's even saying they're not allowing me to answer questions and stuff. So some of it is he's just this is not him. But some of it is also he is random man. I mean, he he is the most random guy. And and I, and I'd forgotten about this, but when he was running in in 2019, he told a story. He was trying to pander to the LGBT vote, and um, he told this story that really kind of made nobody happy. Like nobody liked, nobody felt good. Even the people he was pandering to were like, "That is just gross." He told this story about uh, how far the country has come in terms of uh, accepting. Uh, gay people. Cut number one. Listen to this. You guys have done more to free straight women and men than you have gays and lesbians. And you think I'm kidding. So you don't misunderstand me. Think about this once at one example. A lot of you are very successful businessmen and women. If you were at a fancy restaurant in Washington five, six years ago at an important business meeting, and a gay or lesbian waiter came up, or transgender, spoke with a lisp or demonstrated they were gay or lesbian. And someone at that luncheon table said, made fun of that person. No one would have said anything. Not a joke. I want you to literally think about this. Today, if that same thing happened, the other four or five people at the table say, you horse's tail, get out of here. <laughs> really? So, guys, believe no in yourself. Believe in yourself. Go get them. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you even begin? Like, and I remember we talked about this at the time. Like, First of all, so Joe Biden knows who's gay by whether they lisp? That's, that's, that's the, the tell? Somebody lisps, no, they're gay. Or despite, what do you say, or demonstrates it in some other way. The waiter comes up and lisps or demonstrates it in some other way. This is a guy trying to get people, get, trying to get gay people to vote for him. And he's telling you, yeah, I can tell by the way you talk, the way you carry yourself. Is he saying he has gaydar? Is that what he's saying? He has gaydar? I don't think he has very good gaydar. Sounds like he has um, maybe like Gaydar 1.0. Yeah, if you lisp, you're gay. Bad news if you're lisping and you're straight. You're out of luck. Sorry. So he said this in 2019. He says five or six years ago, it would have been okay to be cruel and make fun of the... So that would have been like 2013. Really? Um, Probably in some places, I get news for you, in those places it would still be okay. Uh, and then he says, um, you know, that, that he uh, basically, he's, he's talking, I think, about the human rights, uh, co- the HRC, Human Rights Coalition, or Human Rights, uh, whatever they call it, Commission, whatever they call themselves. It's a big advocacy group saying, you freed straight people more than you freed gay people. So his view is always that, um, 
He's always been fine. He's never had a problem. But other people needed to get straightened out. Pardon the pun. Wouldn't it be better if you said, I mean, there's no reason to talk about this stuff at all. There's no reason to talk about lisping and waiters that you can tell are gay and all this stuff. But but wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be more authentic? There I go again with that word. If you If you told a story about yourself, like I've, had to change the way I think. I used to think this, and now I think that. And thank you for helping me see the error of my ways. His stories are never like that. Either he's always been in favor of something. He was in favor of gay marriage since the 1940s. It's love, Joey. Or other people had a problem and were, you know, discriminatory or uh, stereotypical, but he, he was not. So in the end, when he's sort of, you know, get, giving a tongue bath to whatever group of voters he's he's trying to pander to, always really the point is he is so great, you horse's tail. And um, I used to think, um, I used to I used to really wonder at, at the inauthenticity of a lot of politicians, including ones whose politics i agreed with there are people who on policy i agree with but who just don't sound like the real deal tons of them he really takes the cake there's no there's no telling who he really is or what he really is but that 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 i thought was interesting um and and so i don't know what we're expecting i mean that was that was joe biden in 2019 it's only gotten worse it's not gotten better did you know there's a thing called Eco-anxiety? I learned that this week. Um, All of the climate catastrophe predictions are paralyzing young people, according to PBS NewsHour, leading to interfering with functioning in daily life, losing sleep, getting in the way of enjoying life. Uh, Climate becomes the predominant Concern, says therapist Leslie Davenport, who calls it eco-anxiety. Um, and there's a, there's a book out called The Weight of Nature that talks about eco-anxiety, that there's a whole host of new, medical, of, uh, new mental conditions relating to climate change. There's eco-anxiety, there's climate grief, there's environmental melancholia, and pre-traumatic stress disorder. I've heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. I think I, I think I know what that is. Pre-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, Davenport says she is overrun with patients. More than she has time to see. She can't, can't even schedule all of them. That young people, people in their teens and 20s, say climate change is making them feel increasingly sad and afraid. Climate worries interrupt their daily lives. Uh, kids in school say that science class, when, when the subject is climate change, uh, their stomach gets upset, their palms sweat, they have to leave the room to vomit, they can't eat lunch. I'm not laughing, I'm not mocking. There's a whole generation of people being crippled by a fear that they're living in end times. I think that's nasty. 
I think the people doing that know it's not true. And I think it's disgusting. I, I, look, if you want to debate it, if you want to argue about it, if you want to posture about it, that's fine. But play with people your own age. I, it's really nasty that, that we would do this. And I, I think back when I was in um, like high school, I guess the closest thing we had to this was it was during the Cold War and there was the nuclear freeze movement. And we had a very active group at our high school of kids that would like walk out and have like die-ins and, uh, you know, sit down strikes. They'd, they'd leave, you know, 50 kids would leave school and, and have a march against, uh, you know, nuclear arms. And there was, I guess, um, in their ranks, there were people that really thought, Reagan's going to get us all killed, and it's the end of the world, and we're all going to perish in a nuclear winter. Um, but it wasn't like this, and it wasn't, um, you know, they had convinced themselves of this, but it wasn't like their teachers were telling them this. It wasn't like every channel was telling them this. It wasn't like their parents would be telling them this. I mean, there's something elementally evil about... Um, scaring children unless you are you know scooping them up in the middle of the night and saying hey we got to go the house is on fire but other than that it isn't like one of our primary responsibilities to not only our own kids but just to kids to not scare them to not worry them unless it's again something they need to know so these People, again, you can laugh at this, you can mock this, maybe somebody else would hear this story and think it was hilarious. Oh, you snowflakes. But I look at it a little differently. I think to myself, when you're young, you you drink it all in, you don't have a lot of filters, you're susceptible. I mean, I can't honestly say, you can't honestly say that if you were 15, 17, 19 today, you don't know how you would take all this stuff in. They're telling you. We only have five years. We only have eight years. We only have ten years. And it's, it's making them despair. And, you know, there's so many ways to go with this. If if we really cared about kids, if we really cared about young people, um, we would want them to know science. We'd want to equip them with the best scientific background they could have so that they could weigh and think critically about whatever anybody says, whether it's me or anybody. We'd want them to have faith. We'd want them to know that that God made them for a purpose. He didn't make them so that they would burn up in eight years. That, that this planet is an incredible, resilient, durable orb that's been around for gazillions of years and is not we are not destroying it we may not always be on it but we're not destroying i mean if we if you really cared about kids you you could you could get very spiritual you could get very scientific you could be factual you could use logic but they're just panicking them and i'm not surprised there are people young people again it's a little harder to understand when it's people our age but i'm not surprised there'd be young people that would be literally sick to their stomach with what they hear so you must be very if you've done that if you've been a part of that you must be very proud of yourself good for you nicely played i i wish this was a joke it would be very witty and clever if somebody had developed or devised this as a parody but this is a real thing in california so 
as you as you may know, if you have friends or family in California or you're from there, their electric grid is is failing. It's so underpowered that brownouts and power outages have become uh, more and more frequent, and um, it's one of the things people cite uh, when you meet people that have uh, you know fled California. So, obviously, they need more energy even now, and they're going to need exponentially more as they push and shove the electric vehicle agenda. The CEO of PG&E, a lady named Patricia Poppy, has come up with an idea for more electricity. Electric cars that send power back to the grid. They have a bill before the legislature that would require bi-directional charging equipment that would make every charging station and every charger like the one you would have in your garage has to be bi-directional. The theory is that electric cars are sitting most of the time. I mean, your car, my car, most cars are sitting most of the time. We don't drive them as often as they just sit there. When an electric car is sitting there, Patricia Poppy says, it should be sending electricity back into the grid. I'm not making this up. And that would give the grid more electricity. So the the government of California, the big utility in California, thinks the answer is drawing electrical power from electric vehicles. I know, I know, I've thought it too. It's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, it's obviously, if if you have charged your, you know, F-150 Lightning and it's sitting there and now it's sending power back to the grid, you're going to have to charge it again. I know, I know, I've already thought of that. Also, um, you probably have considered, you guys wouldn't even have to be doing this if you weren't pushing everyone into electric vehicles. It really is, it's the most 2023 idea I think we've heard yet. (laughs) So you and I are sitting here going, how are you going to have all these, I was just having a, I I had this conversation with my friend at lunch today. How are we going to have all these electric vehicles if we're not generating more electricity? Everybody agrees when you say that, everybody. Yeah, yeah, we are going to have to do that. And we brought up nuclear the other day on this show. Their answer is, oh, we're going to get more electricity from electric vehicles. Electric vehicles aren't going to be the problem. They're going to be the answer to the problem. I, I wish, I swear, I wish I was making this up. Uh, they say, by the way, they would refund, they would pay you for the power they drain out of your electric vehicle. But correct me if I'm wrong. These batteries have like a finite number of cycles, right? Like you can only, with any battery, you can only drain it and charge it X number of times. I mean, it's a, it's a high number, but the more you draw it down and charge it and draw it down and charge it, the the sooner the day comes that you have to replace that battery pack. I, I hope they're thinking of that. Do you know that 73% of car sales in this country are used cars? So like three out of four cars transactions are used cars. I only buy used cars. And you kind of wonder, like, what's the, 
what's the market going to be for used EVs? I don't know that there really is one yet. I'm not saying there aren't any for sale. Obviously, there are. But um, do we know what the marketplace will be for a vehicle that might soon need battery replacement? Do people know how to buy a used EV? Like most people have some familiarity with what to look for. You may have like your limit. I only buy cars under a certain mileage or within a certain age range or, you know, whatever. But but I don't know if people really have like a, a, a set of criteria for buying a used EV, assuming you would even do it, assuming you'd even be open to that. Um, so... I feel like we're heading for a big correction with this whole thing. I, I'm i not saying it won't happen. All the stuff you're being told is going to happen, the years that are being cited, the mandates that are being barked out at you every day. Maybe all that's going to happen. Maybe we're going to make those dates. I have the feeling we're not. I just don't know exactly how, how we're going to interrupt it. All right, here we go. It's time for, well, first of all, it's Friday, and uh, not a minute too soon, just when we needed it, Uh, but it's time for The Dish. This hour of the show, The Dish on KTSA, is all about restaurants anywhere around San Antonio or South Texas, uh, wherever you've been. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, drive through donuts, breakfast tacos, whatever. Uh, any kind of food, any kind of price. I want to hear your story. I want to hear about a place that's new or one that's new to you or an old favorite. Uh, you can call and talk about the food, the price, the service, all of those things, any of those things on the dish. The phone number is 210-599-5555. You can praise... Or zing. Are you prepared to declare a national emergency? I've already done that. So you've already declared that national emergency. Well, in the practice, you got a bug on you. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. So you've already declared that national you got a bug emergency. Practically speaking, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, praise or zing on the dish. 210-599-5555. Not a lot of rules. Uh, just please have the complete correct name of the restaurant uh, that you are, uh, you know, calling about. Whatever you're going to say about it, we need to know the the name of it. Uh, and it's not a review. It's just like the way you would talk about a restaurant to a friend or a coworker or something like that. 210-599-5555. So let's say you went out to lunch today. It's how you would say uh, to your wife or your husband or somebody, hey, I, I went to such and such uh, over there at the quarry and this is what happened and you should order this if you go. And that's what we're doing. And then we're taking those calls this hour at 210 210- Five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Also, you can vote in the JR poll about the special counsel question. We'll have the results in the JR poll coming up at the end of the hour. Uh, they're saying that the Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg cage match will take place in Italy at a quote unquote epic location. Elon Musk tweeted this morning, or I guess we have to say X'd, that he had a, an MRI. And uh, he's apparently good to go. Um, and that the uh, fight will be live streamed on X. We knew that. 
And everybody's assuming when you say epic location in Italy, everybody's assuming the Colosseum. I, I don't know. I mean, it does, that sounds right. So we'll see. Keep you posted on that. Um, 210-599-5555. Will you watch it? If, it if, if they actually do this, will you watch the, um, the cage match? For me, it's honestly going to come down to what else is um, going on that night. i <laughs> I got to be honest. My interest in this will be uh, largely driven by whether there's something else I want to see. So, But, that, you know, that's just me. 210-599-5555. Um, remember the story about how people were, uh, there, was an, there was a promotion with Subway, the sandwich chain, where if you legally changed your name to Subway, you could qualify for free Subway sandwiches for life. NBC News says nearly 10,000 people have volunteered to legally change their names to Subway, and that was just within the first three days of the offer. Subway's name change challenge uh, was um, announced July 26th. And Subway says uh, they will um, select one lucky winner who changes his name or her name and get free sandwiches for life. I bet they would have gotten fewer volunteers if you had to change your name to Jared from Subway. You know, like that would have... I feel like there's a lot of people that would have been like, that would have been a bridge too far. Like, ah, maybe not. In related news, I am announcing today, right here on the radio for the first time, you're hearing this for the first time, I am changing my name to Jersey Mike. So, letting you know. I'll let you know when the paperwork comes through on that. Um, 210-599-5555, we're talking restaurants on the dish. Let's start with Terry. I think Terry's a good place to start. Terry, happy Friday night to you. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Hey, I don't want to. I don't know if you have any praises. I don't get to listen to you much. I'm usually about the Houston area, but right up the road from me on Old Pleasanton Road by 1604 on the far south side. Mm-hmm. Pure country smoking has got the best food, barbecue, catfish. All their sides are number one. Hmm. So the name of the place is Pure Country Smokin'? Yes, sir. Okay. What is your uh, favorite thing to get there? What would you say is the best thing they have there? Well, my wife likes the ribs and brisket. I'm trying to lose weight, so I eat the catfish. <laughs> all right, and that's all good. Uh, yes, yeah, 17950 Pleasanton Road, it looks like. Is it a big place yes, or a small place, or what is it like uh, to go there? Well, it's family orientated. Uh, it's a small place, but they have outside tables, which, of course, you know, 108 degrees is kind of warm outside. But uh, every first uh, Saturday of the month, they have a live band playing inside. It's family. It, it's a very nice place. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's our first call on that. We've never had a call on that. Pure Country Smoking Barbecue. 
17950 Pleasanton Road. And uh, just basically, it sounds like just everything's good. Everything. I've I, I tried everything. I mean, they have all everything that you want in barbecue, but their catfish is to die for. All right. Well, Terry, I hope you, how much weight are you trying to lose? Uh, about another 40 pounds. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Go slow, and I wish you luck. All right, you have a good day, Jack. Good talking you to too, you, too, sir. Good to talk to you as well. Always uh, always on board with people doing that. I've been there, been through that. Um, I say been through it. You're never, you're never really done with it, right? Once you, once you lose it, you're not done. All right, 210-599-5555. That's how it works. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Any kind of food, any kind of uh, price. It can be, uh, you know, a chain restaurant. It can be a well-known place. It can be a place we've had calls about before because I love getting different angles and, you know, different uh, looking at what different people recommend or what they di- different people say about the same place. So if you've heard people call about the restaurant you have in mind, don't let that prevent you from giving us a call. We'll get to more of those uh, coming up. Um, 210-599-5555. So um, where have you been? What's good? Restaurants? Got a place for us? A place you're dying to tell us about? You've been raving about it since you went? Uh, an old favorite you want to sing the praises of? Did you have a restaurant experience that was not so great? Did something go truly sideways and you want, you want to let everybody know? Uh, you can praise or zing any restaurant around San Antonio and South Texas. This phone call, 210 210- Five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. According to a new survey, uh, Texas is in the top ten of states where people like to dine out. Uh, Colorado is the number one state for going out to eat. They they measured this by people doing restaurant searches. I don't know if that's a reliable thing or not, but I guess a lot of times when you're trying to figure out where to go or where a place is, you you Google it or you look for it on you know, to navigate to it. So I guess this is how they figured it out. Colorado was number one. Hawaii was number two. Florida was number three. Texas is number seven uh, in states where people like to dine out. So we're, uh, this is our, this is our thing. This is something we do. Uh, It also said that Americans are spending between 20 and $75 on an average restaurant meal, depending upon the venue and the number of diners, uh, cheapest spots to go out to eat, Richmond, Virginia, Springfield, Illinois, Austin, and Raleigh, North Carolina, among the most expensive. So so where have you been? What's good? 210-599-5555. Praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience. Remember we talked about the lady that had the meltdown on the plane? The lady that, that started ranting and screaming, that MF back there is not real, and I'm getting off this plane. And uh, Tiffany Gomez tells uh, the Daily Mail her life is has been blown up. It's frightening. No one should judge her. No one knows what it's like to be her. She says, people, please, she begs, please do not judge her for her not real airplane meltdown. She was the lady who uh, was captured in a viral video. This came out several weeks ago. Um, 
where she was, uh, as she was deplaning herself, she was warning the other people on the plane that that MF back there is not real. This is what it sounded like. Um, I'd like to sympathize with her because I'm just a sympathetic kind of chap. But let me explain, Tiffany, why people are judging you. Like, if somebody has a an episode, say, I don't know, on the sidewalk or in a store, you could you could go up to them and 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 try to comfort them. You could go up to them and try to help. You could get help. You could ignore them. You could push your little shopping cart into another department and continue your errand. You're free to do whatever you want to do and get involved or not get involved. When you pull this crap on an airplane, Tiffany, you involve all of us. Is this not, do people not get this? We're mad at you because now nobody can go where they're going. Now everybody has to play along with whatever this is. And that flight was delayed some number of hours. I forget how many. And those are people that are going to a family gathering. Those are people that have an appointment in the other city. Those are people making a connection. Those are people maybe going to a a time-sensitive event like a graduation. Or maybe they're just people that are tired and are trying to get home. But now you've involved them. So it's different on a plane, Tiffany. You know the old expression, we're all in this together? It's usually not true. On a plane, it's true. That's what people get upset about. You know. By the way, I also lost a lot of sympathy for Tiffany when I found out, did you know this? She tried to convince them to let her get back on that plane. Did you know that, Don Cooper? So apparently she decided, yeah, apparently the MFer was, she decided she was okay with sitting with him, even though he wasn't real. <laughs> uh, personally, I've sat next to some people on airplanes that I wished were not real. And I was, I was really <laughs> hoping we're not real. So that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's nothing yes. new to me. Um, <laughs> I've sat there many times and thought, please don't let this be real. Uh, 210-599-5555 on KTSA. We're talking restaurants on the dish you can praise or zing, your most recent restaurant uh, experience, um, if it's worth mentioning. And Virginia is next on the radio on KTSA. Happy Friday, Virginia. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Are you with us, Virginia? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did did you want to tell us about a restaurant? Yes, I do. I would like to tell you about, um, let's see, Julio's in Uvalde, Texas. It's uh, located at the intersection of uh, 117 South and 83, uh, I don't know, which uh, kind of westish, I think. Anyway, or or south, kind of too, uh, southwest, I guess it is. Anyway, 
I had a Mexican plate and it was very delicious and I think it didn't cost but uh, 15 or so dollars and service was great and it was just real good with carne cassava and enchilada uh, barracho beans uh, heaven knows what else but good chips and salsa but thank hmm. you for taking my call <laughs> oh thank you thank you for calling okay. I appreciate that okay uh, yeah. that's our first call on that one praise for looks like it's Julio's Grill if I've got the name right uh, 501 South Getty Street in Uvalde like what she said, heaven knows what else. It was so good, I don't even know what I had. It was just good. It was just so good. <laughs> she was such a nice um, she was very nice. lady when I was speaking with her off the air and yeah. getting her set up. She she wanted to tell me how great the restaurant is. Mm. I said, no, I, I need you to share it with everyone. So um, thankfully she, she I, You know, Don, I can understand. <laughs> I can understand. There are probably people that would rather just talk to you, and I can understand that. That's, if only it could work that way. Um, that was very nice. I do notice that sometimes when people call, it feels like we've called them. Like to people listening, mm-hmm. yes. the caller seems yeah. so shocked that they must think, does Jack call just like randomly call? Is it like cash call? Like, <laughs> hey, have you got a restaurant for us? Who's this? Yeah, I, I swear to you, all of these calls are people that call us. We don't bother anybody. We're just here. I'm here from 6 to 7 on Friday if you want to have... Talk about a restaurant. I'm here if you don't. You can tell Don about it if you don't want to tell me. Well, well I think sometimes what happens is is that when I answer the phone, she's mm. thinking that I am you, yes. and then it's yeah. or that person is thinking that I am you, and they get a Thank little God confused. Thank God you're not me. <laughs> yeah. I think about that every day. I do. <laughs> Don prays a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm not him. Yes. Uh, 210-599-5555. A university in England has um, recently put out a, I guess, a directive or a memo, what would you call it, guidance uh, for terms that you can no longer use, um, either speaking them or writing them at the University of Surrey. Surrey? Uh, the guidance includes uh, the following terms that may no longer be used. Black sheep may not be used. Dark web. not exactly sure what dark web is. People that use that term seem to know what it is. I'm not totally sure. I don't think I've ever used it. I'm not too sure what it is. Um, black and blue may not be used. It says your Indian summer may not be used. I wouldn't have thought that Indian summer was a thing over there. Why would they be saying that? Instead of black and blue, you may say bruised. Instead of Indian summer, you can say late summer. Instead of black sheep, you can say renegade. Instead of dark web, you can say unindexed web. That doesn't sound right. Um, I wonder if you can say go to hell University of Surrey. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm glad I'm not at the university anymore or any university anymore. I was thinking about it the other day. This is random, totally random thoughts here, but when I whenever I have thought about what would I do for a living, I mean, if I couldn't do this, hopefully I'll be able to just do this 
for a long time. But but if I couldn't do this, I used to think I would really I would love to teach like broadcasting or journalism or history or stuff like that. But but I've I've come to realize in recent years there's zero chance that will ever happen. I mean, they sometimes hire media people uh to teach these uh subjects, but uh, but I, I, there's no way. First of all, if they have any idea what I've done on the radio, they wouldn't come near me, and I I understand that. I accept that. Secondly, I don't think I'd last very long in the faculty lounge, you know? I mean, the first time they start putting out, uh, you know, language guidance, like, oh, here comes Riccardi. (laughs) I don't think I'd make tenure, you know what I mean? Like one one semester and I'd be out. So just letting you know, probably going to hang in here for a while. And uh, we'll have the results on the JR poll coming up here in a few. And you can uh, we're still we're still rolling on the dish. We're still taking your calls, praise or zing. Any restaurant, any kind of food, any kind of price, anywhere in and around uh, San Antonio, make the call 210-599-5555. Uh, this is a this is pretty weird. I think uh, I don't know if you're a hockey fan or not, but if you have ever watched hockey, uh, fighting is is definitely part of hockey. It's you know, if a fight breaks out in a baseball game, it's it's pretty unusual. It does happen. Uh, if a fight breaks out on the football field, it's not the norm. It does happen. But fighting in hockey is like literally you you would feel like you didn't get your tickets worth if you went to a hockey game and there wasn't a fight. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has banned fighting for the upcoming season, 2023-2024 season. Uh League players who fight during a game will automatically be ejected and potentially suspended from the league, according to new safety regulations published last night. Instigator of a fight will face an automatic one-game suspension. Any other participant suspended uh, as well. Hmm. Well, that pretty much ruins (laughs) another thing we've ruined, right? Um... Did you know, I didn't know there were two states. I knew New Jersey did this. I did not know Oregon did this. There were two states until this week that did not allow drivers to pump their own gas. We take for granted that when you go to the gas station, you pull in, you're going to pump the gas into your vehicle. In fact... Um, there are relatively few places left where they will do that for you. I remember when I moved here, there were a few places I knew about, but I don't even, now I don't even know of any. I'm sure there are, but I, I could not tell you. Do you know of any, Don? I don't know of a full service gas station. I'm sure we have them. But in New Jersey, I remember when I moved here, I was telling people this. They couldn't believe it. It's against the law to self serve in New Jersey. And um, the the origin of it is uh, basically politics. Uh, there were um, people in the gas station uh, industry, I guess, uh, that, um, you know, 
did not want to have to compete with self-service. Uh, and the other state, I didn't know this, was Oregon. Oregon also had a law, uh, going back to 1951, and in Oregon they had cited danger, that it was too dangerous for people to dispense gas into their cars. Well, Oregon just changed their law, so it is now going to be legal to have self-service gas in Oregon. New Jersey now the only state where that is against the law. Can you imagine if that ever come back, uh, a, a, an actual service station to where they actually, you know, they check the air in your tires and they check your oil mm -hmm. and things Would like that. Would the guys wear those uniforms? Well, <laughs> well I'm, I'm looking at the fact is that everyone just wants everything done now. Right. You know, I, I, I don't think we have the patience for that no, any longer. No, no. And, like, my dad would go to this place um, near our house, and he knew the guy. He, he, well, he called the guy Whitey, which, don't, don't get mad, that was his nickname, not a racial reference. But, like, my dad, I remember being in the back seat, and, and my dad and Whitey would, you know, kibitz about whatever, and my dad would tell him what kind of gas he wanted in our Chrysler Newport. And uh, that was it, you know. I mean, it was... Um, it was like a little, it was like a little thing, you know. You saw you saw this guy once a week, and you shot the, you know, whatever, and uh, talked about the game or the weather or how was your Christmas or whatever. And yeah, we don't have that anymore. Um, but you're right. I think people would be in a hurry. Uh, and then, um, of course, I guess the other thing that would probably uh, happen because we're now doing this with everything. Would you now be expected to tip? That person? Like, I don't think that was a thing. We didn't tip those people, did we? I, but see, by the time I started driving, it was self-serve, so I don't know. But um, were people? Did people tip the gas station attendant when he pumped the gas into their car? Maybe somebody can tell us that. Now I'm quite sure that you'd be, you know, sitting there in your car, and there'd be that little uh, <laughs> that little iPad would would materialize on the windowsill. Uh, this is going to ask you a couple of questions. They always say it that way, right? Like they don't have any control over it. You know, you're getting your coffee or whatever. Yeah, it's going to ask you a couple of questions. Like they, I have nothing to do with this. It's just the, the computer is going to ask you a couple of questions. It's going to ask you one question. Do you want to leave a tip? It would probably be a thing, I would imagine. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. A man in New Hampshire celebrating his birthday with his three daughters uh, says that uh, they were they were uh, at the beach, um, and he says that they saw three humpback whales jump in unison, and he told his daughters that they did that in honor of his birthday. <laughs> See, I don't I don't think that's right. Um, I mean, happy birthday and all, but uh, it's called a triple breach in the uh, whale business. And uh, three jumped in perfect synchronization. He says, I uh, feel very fortunate. God shined down on me. And I told my daughter that was in honor of my birthday. What's he going to do for his birthday next year now, right? See, that's the problem right there. Okay, Dad, what do you got? Right, the, you, the whales. The whales paid tribute last year. Which which 
Force of Nature will be honoring your birthday next year. Oh, it'll be a total eclipse of the sun. 210-599-5555. Update on KTSA Time Saver Traffic right here. Or not. You can do it right here. We can do it later. We'll do it later. Uh, let me see. We'll go with uh, Don on KTSA. Hi, Don. Yes. Hi, Don. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm still doing well. Good. I just wanted to um, let you know because I heard some guy named Terry that was on your your radio earlier about praising this mm-hmm. barbecue place. And oh, I yeah. Uh, pure food. country. Yeah. Yes. I try everything. Every time I go, I go, I eat the chicken, the ribs, the pork ribs are just like outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and potato salad, green beans, every side. I mean, if we if I can't go when I'm not when I'm not working and I can't go, it's just like because only open on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, that's only, good to yeah, know. They yeah, they all oh, open okay. on the weekends. Yeah, from eleven, and then on Saturdays they have bands from I mm-hmm. think three to six. Well, he might have said that, and I missed it. I, I don't know if he told us that part or not, but that's good. That's good to know. Um, oh, but it, it, it's—I mean, it's very—and they're very homey. They're very cordial. They're—it's family mm-hmm. orientated. I mean, it's just a wonderful, just sit down, home cooked meal. It's good. just wonderful. Very good. Pure country. Welcome. Yeah. Pure, yeah. Yeah. Pure that's country. nice. Pure country smoking barbecue. Second call today. 17950 Pleasanton Road, open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 to 7. Don, thank you. Thanks for the call. Seconding that, got a little more information from Don, adding to the previous gentleman. Thank God it's... Not hyperbole suggests that there is no national treasure, none that is grander than the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, one of the Earth's nine wonders... Wonders of the world, literally. <laughs> Think of that. Or, you know, it's amazing. It just is so magnificent. As a matter of fact, I said nine. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Oh. Moving up in the countdown. Oh my goodness. You know, I will say this, and this may come across like I'm, like I'm defending him, and I'm not, but. Can we go back to the days when it was rare for presidents to come out and say anything anywhere? Like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure like Grover Cleveland didn't have this many faux pas because he probably didn't. I don't know what made me think of him. But, I mean, pick take anybody. William Howard Taft. I don't care. You, you, you probably didn't, you know, you probably went, you could probably go through your entire life without ever seeing the president, you know, unless he came to your town. And presidents didn't have a proclamation about everything, and they didn't have multiple appearances every day, and they were doing whatever they were doing in the Oval Office, and, and maybe that was better. And now they're out there all the time, and, and it's too much, and he can't do this. Joe Biden can't, can't do this, you know. He's supposed to memorize the seven wonders of the world? You know, he's not even exactly sure who he is. Is it even one of the seven wonders of the world, Don? Did they determine whether that's even accurate? I think it's a natural... 
maybe yes. like a natural wonder. I I, but I thought yeah. the seven wonders of the world were things that people built, like man-made things would be a wonder. But like I don't think a naturally occurring thing is a wonder. You know what I mean? I'm I'm freelancing here. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I know now. Now I'm curious because I yeah. I thought. Check that I out while right. I yeah, talk to Gilbert here because I don't I think I think the wonders of the world are things like we like the Taj Mahal or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, Gilbert is on KTSA on the dish. Hi, Gilbert. Hey, well, I'm thinking that uh, radio legend Don Stevens Cooper should know that the other wonder would be Stevie Wonder, maybe. Oh, there you go. Look at you. He's here all week, folks. Yeah. Try the veal. That's hey, a rusty segue, right? Uh, no, the reason I'm calling, too, is it's kind of a, an idea. I, uh, I like your program. And I've, I know I've told you before, and I'm sure many people have told you, that you have the best program, you know, what you do, you have the best program. But you, uh, And you told me that you're the conservative talk show host. But I like all the other stuff, the Steely Dan, the Steve Lukather, the Eagles, the oh, okay. 80s, all that stuff. Thank you. That's, all that stuff is great for the uh, 40 to 60 crowd. And there you go. You know, wonderful wonderful but you know sometimes but we know what we're getting when we listen to your show and that's why we listen okay but uh, thank you but the reason i'm calling is uh it is is a uh, with the dish right yes it is <laughs> the uh rj's burgers and and i know my i know my restaurants all over uh okay. rj's burgers on Calab- yeah. calabria by uh st mary's university mm-hmm. have you ever got a call on that one I don't think so. I'm looking right now. No, we have not. I, I see where it is, uh, but no, we've not had a call. Tell me real quick about it. It is really worth the drive, uh, no matter where you're at. And I know my burgers, it's, uh, I mean, they're like almost, they, well, they are kind of homemade, they're kind of greasy that rolls down your, you know, your forearm, uh, good fries. But the burger, I've been there probably 20 times. They've never failed me yet. Yeah. And it looks like a little, the picture, it looks like really just a snack, like a little shack place, like you just walk up and order, right? kind of like a hidden gem yeah it's worth yeah, the drive yeah. great place to go uh and there's always a line of cars and it might it take a while but it's worth the wait rj's snack shack 3644 calabra road that's a good tip good advice gilbert thanks for the kind words thanks for listening appreciate it uh that'll do it for the dish thanks to everybody that called uh on the dish and um so it, it's considered one of the seven natural Natural, that's what wonders I want. of wonders. the world, like uh, Mount Everest. So there's like natural wonders that are mm-hmm. features of the planet, and then there's the wonders of the world. Right. Like, the, like a, like what would be an example of that? The Great Wall of China. Okay, there you would go. Would be one of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. China. China. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, the poll results. Oh, no surprise. Hundred uh, percent. Don't believe special counsel for Hunter is a legit investigation i had to ask because that's a big story today but i I kind of figured you would have that answer and i appreciate that um and the other thing i was going to mention before we run out of time here which we pretty much have uh we we still have we didn't play him today because we were busy doing the dish sometimes we'll get to them on friday still have the jack chat line still going by that name until we come up with a better name uh but that's the number to call if you listen to the podcast or if like, as our show is going off the air now, you think of something you wanted to say or wanted to chime in on, this phone number, always available to you, 210-599-5550. Just make sure you leave your first name and your city or town so that we can play it. 
And if you do those things, we will play it. 210-599-5550 on the Jack Chat line. And we'll play some of those uh, on Monday. Just didn't get to them today. Uh, but thanks to everybody who called and listened. And don't forget to look for our podcast at KTSA.com on the on-demand menu or uh, wherever you like to get your other podcasts. You can probably find the Jack Riccardi Show as well. See you Monday.